Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. That nothing in the Bible is put there just because to fill up ink on a page. Everything is there by design. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he told things in advance hundreds of years, sometimes even thousands of years before they come to pass. He tells us, is he the author of the Bible? Is he, he's the only one who can see all things. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Isn't it true? From the end, from the beginning, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Does it surprise any of us that God is able to speak to the future as if it had already happened? No one else can do that. No other being in the universe can do that. Satan himself cannot do that. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob gives us a review on how the Bible is the written Word of God and how it has stood the test of time. God has penned His will and plan for our lives, and as Bible students, we know that it is the inspired Word of God that is able to speak new life into our souls. It is 66 different books with 40 different authors that fit all together to give us God's plan and gives us a look into things of history and future prophecy. God speaks to us, but we have to take the time to listen. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. I'm going to do something a little bit different here this morning, and I pray that you'll bear with me. I, I really wrestled with sharing this again, but I'd like to. Two years ago, I shared something a little more in depth, and this morning, just because it is Palm Sunday, I wanted to kind of give us like a, very, a very condensed view or, or uh, an understanding of what Palm Sunday is and the significance of it and, and how you can trust the Word of God and the prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. We're going to look at just a, a couple of things quickly this morning, and then we'll finish the last part of First Peter chapter 3. So... Uh, let's just hang on. Now, you're going to see some figures up here on the screen, and it's going to tax you, no pun intended, because tomorrow's tax day. And you're going to see some numbers, just the thing you need to see before tax day. But I'm not going to get bogged down in the details. I'm just going to give you a very high-level understanding of this, just to encourage you and to remind you again of just the veracity of God's Word and how we can trust it and the, and the truth and the accuracy of the Bible. But let's look at Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 29. Remember Jesus, this was his last week on the earth. Well, actually, it wasn't his last week on the earth. It was He was alive for 40 days after his resurrection. But the week before he was um, crucified and ultimately risen from the grave, notice what it says in Luke 19, verse 29. It says, and it came to pass... Everybody with me? Did I say Matthew? It's there as well. Actually, this event is in all the four Gospels, so just pick one. 
No. Luke 19. Luke 19. Everybody with me. Luke 19. Luke 19. Okay. It says, And it came to pass, when he, Jesus, drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where there is, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, notice, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why, asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus shall you say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus. And they drew, they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was drawing down the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the mood changes here, the minor key happens. <laughs> and some of the Pharisees called him from, to him from the crowd, Teacher, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the very stones would immediately cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Now, I want you to notice this, saying, If you had known, even you, Jerusalem, especially in this, your day, notice, this is your day, Jerusalem. If you had known, especially in this your day, the things which make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, and they will surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you, to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now Jesus, as he was going into the city of Jerusalem, he held the people of, of Jerusalem accountable for this day. And this is remarkable, because when you read through this passage, you can just gloss over the fact that God was holding them accountable for this event. And you might be going, what do you mean? Well, turn with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. In fact, you can just read it on the screen with me just for the sake of time. I want to get you through this because, again, we're just going to look at this very quickly. But I want to encourage you because this is one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Bible. There's a lot more to it, and we're just looking at a very small portion, and we're just going to get right into it. But I want to encourage you that nothing in the Bible is put there just because to fill up ink on a page. Everything is there by design. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he told things in advance hundreds of years, sometimes even thousands of years before they come to pass. He tells us, is he the author? Of, of the Bible, is he, he's the only one who can see all things. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Isn't it true? From the end, from the beginning, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Does it surprise any of us that God is able to speak to the future as if it had already happened? No one else can do that. No other being in the universe can do that. Satan himself cannot do that. No one can do that. No other religion, no other guru, no other prophet, no other holy man in the Middle East or in the Far East, no one can do that but God alone. And he speaks as if it's already occurred. 
And this is what is so amazing. Read with me in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says this, Seventy weeks are determined for your people. Now remember, Daniel's in Babylon, and he's receiving this. The, the Jews, the, northern two, or the southern two tribes, have already gone into captivity in Babylon, and there's Daniel. And God gives to him this prophecy. And this is the key to all end-time prophecy. It really hinges on this, and everything falls into place when you look at the entire counsel of God and you fit it into this framework. It fits so beautifully. And God did that by design. So God tells Daniel, 70 weeks, these are weeks of years, okay, not just a week like we have seven days. It's a week of years, seven years. For each year, you know, uh, 70 weeks is uh, 70 weeks of years. They're determined for your people, Daniel, the Jews, and for your holy city. What is the holy city? It's Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And then in verse 25 it says this, Know therefore, and here's our thing that we've got to look at right now, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, notice, there was a commandment given, not yet, there was a commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So from the, from the moment that this command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, otherwise, otherwise known as 69 weeks, and the city shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks, meaning after the seven weeks and then the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, literally be crucified. He'll be executed but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. So he gives this prophecy, uh, and this prophecy encompasses thousands of years. Thousands of years. So there is a decree that was given. Now Daniel, remember, was living during the, the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar's grandson afterward, and then finally uh, Cyrus, the, the Persian, the Persians would conquer Babylon, and so there Daniel is, and he knows that their time of captivity is going to be 70 years. He learned that through Jeremiah's prophecy, and I, I think in Jeremiah 25. So he knows that it's coming to an end, their captivity. But there is a time after that, even yet future to Daniel when he was speak, when God was giving this to him, that... God would uh, deliver his people. And in fact, in, in the Bible, in this time frame from the time of Daniel and when Cyrus conquered Babylon, there were four different decrees that were given. And the first one was from Cyrus of Persia in 536 B.C., and then following him, Darius, the, the Mede who conquered uh, after that, the king after that, in 519 B.C., he gave another decree, and then Artaxerxes Longimanus in 458 B.C. gave another uh, decree for the Jews. And then finally, the same king, Artaxerxes Longimanus in 445 B.C. gave the decree. And we're going to look at that one specifically. But the first decree that was given by, by Cyrus was a, a decree for the Jews when, when Cyrus came into power. He remember at the, at the end of their 70-year captivity, it was this king, Cyrus, who allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland and, and to rebuild their temple. And he gave them the materials to do it. 
And, and, but this prophecy, this first decree, cannot be what Daniel is referring to when it says the decree to rebuild the walls in, in, in Jerusalem there in Daniel. This couldn't be the decree. Because in Second Chronicles, you can read this yourself, and if you want these slides, I can give them to you. Just let me know. But Second Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1, it, it talks about rebuilding the temple, so it can't clearly be this, this prophecy or this time frame. What about the second decree, decree by Darius in 519 B.C.? And it's recorded for us in Ezra chapter 5 through chapter uh, 6 through verse 12. And the scope of this decree was rebuilding of the temple. And basically, Darius reiterates Cyrus's decree, but now he adds penalties attached for those who don't submit to that. And so you can see how God was just using these pagan, heathen kings to bring about his plan. And isn't it wonderful that God would do that? That he would preserve his people through one of their most difficult times in history. And yet at the end of it, God was going to restore them back to their land. But what about the third decree? Well, Artaxerxes Longimanus, he uh, also, in 458 B.C., he gives a decree... And it's recorded for us in Ezra chapter 7. But again, the scope of this decree is not to rebuild the walls. It's not to restore and to build Jerusalem. This one is specifically the provision for the priests and the sacrifices and the articles of the house of God. So finally, it leaves us with the very fourth decree. And this one is very interesting because Artaxerxes in 445 B.C., and it's recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 2, says it was the 20th year of his reign. And we know through history exactly when he reigned and when he made this decree. And when he made this decree. And the very specific decree was to repair the walls and rebuild the city. To rebuild the city. In fact, if we go back to Daniel, you can see up on the screen there, we can see God giving us a formula given us a time frame. He says to Daniel, before it even happens, a couple hundred years actually before it happens, he tells Daniel, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, from that time until Messiah the Prince, there's going to be 69 weeks of years. 69 weeks of years. There's a time frame in here. It's literally 173,880 days. A very specific number of days. In fact, in God's calendar, you can see the math here. You can do it yourself. There's 69 weeks of years. And there's seven years in each week of years. And 360 days. The Jews and the Babylonians all use a 360-day calendar. 173,880 days from the time that this command was given until Messiah the Prince. Now let me talk to you about this Messiah the Prince. What we just read in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus rode in on the donkey, that is a, 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 the fulfillment of this prophecy. Can you see that? 173,880 days from when the commandment was given until he rode in on the donkey. In fact, it says in Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hundreds of years before it even happened, the prophet Zechariah writes exactly what Jesus was going to do. And so Jesus held them accountable to know these scriptures, this prophecy in Daniel and this prophecy in Zechariah. And here he is riding in on the colt of a foal of a donkey, and he's riding into Jerusalem, the king, as it says in Zechariah, behold, your king is coming to you. This was a very significant day. And Jesus held them accountable to know what that day was. And so, when was this decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem? We looked at those four decrees really quickly, but the fourth one by Artaxerxes was given on March 14, 445 B.C. And so, fast forward from that day, 173,880 days, what's the date we have? April 6th. 32 A.D., and what was that day? That's the day that Messiah, Jesus Christ, entered Jerusalem on the donkey to the very day that God said he would do it. And that's why Jesus said to them, we're actually going to get to that. We, we, never, um, we never finished. Um, uh, we'll get to that in a second. That's why when Jesus, when he rode in, to Jerusalem, in verse 41, back in Luke 19, he said, Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, and saying, If you had known even this your day, but especially uh, in this your day, the things which make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And so, and they did not know the time of their visitation. And so God held them accountable for this time. And when you do the math, if you look up on the, on the screen here, just a quick formula you can do this yourself. We know what this date was. It was 445 B.C., and Jesus rode in on the donkey on April 6, 32 A.D. You can look at the math there, and you can do it for yourself. And there's a, really, there's a, a, a couple of gentlemen that have really spent a lot of time in detail on this. One was Sir Robert Anderson. You can read this whole thing in detail in a book called The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. And there's been some other scholars who have looked into this. And they basically came to the same conclusion, give or take a day or two. But the, the main thing is, is that God is not wrong. <laughs> if man quibbled about a couple of days difference, somebody made a mistake, but God is right. So I don't worry about those things. All I know is that Jesus said it was going to be 69 weeks of years from the, from, from the going forth of the commandment, which Artaxerxes did, to the very coming of Jesus on April 6, 32 AD. That ought to encourage you, because... Did Jesus, you know, everybody else was clueless. But Jesus knew that day. He knew the significance of that day. He was presenting himself as the king of Israel, but they didn't want a king. They wanted someone to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. They wanted a different Jesus, not one who would save them from their sins. They wanted a Jesus that would give them power and authority in the world to make them the superpower. But of course, we know that Jesus' plan was much more thorough, much more far-reaching, much more significant than just having reign over the earth. He had a purpose and a plan for coming into the earth. His desire was to save men from their sins. He wasn't interested in coming as a conquering general the first time, but when he does come back the second time, believe me, he will be a conquering general. He will come back on a white horse. And the Bible says that very clearly for us in Revelation 19. 
But be encouraged that this very day that we celebrate right now is the anniversary of that day. Of what Daniel had spoken of hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. I don't know, I find that fascinating, don't you? Fascinating. That God knows what he's talking about. So be encouraged. You know, this week is going to be very interesting. I've, I've always found that the Passion Week is a little bit different than other weeks. <laughs> and so will you. If you're really desiring and, and loving Jesus Christ, don't be surprised if you find this day to be a little, this week to be a little wacky for you, where your schedules get thrown up and things happen that are outside of your control, which everything is, actually. But I find that this week is interesting. But again, this Friday we will celebrate Good Friday. It's good for us. It's good for us because on that day, Jesus paid the price, the penalty for my sin, for your sin. We'll no longer ever have to see hell because of what he did on the cross on Friday. And then three days later, rising from the grave, defeating death and hell, having victory over all the dominions and all of the hordes of hell. O grave, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? It's swallowed up in the victory of Christ on the cross. Amen? So be encouraged. God knows what he's doing. If you could open your Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're just going to finish the last section here of Peter. I couldn't resist sharing that with you because it really is truly significant and there is a lot of there's a lot more to that, and we glossed over it quite a bit, but that's okay. I wanted to give you a taste of it again, because it is important for, to remind ourselves of just how accurate God is, and how his word is true. And by the way, everyone around you, if, if you go to school, if you go to a university, no one's going to believe any of this stuff. They don't hold to it. They don't believe it. But it's true. And I know that it's true. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Second Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter 3. I got the reference right this time, right? It's not Matthew. <laughs> First Peter, chapter 3. Let's read it in context, just those handful of verses, and then we'll get into it. It says, for Christ, again, the context of this letter is suffering. The Jews, newly saved in a world that's very hostile to the gospel. They're on the move because they're being persecuted, not only by their fellow countrymen, the Jews, but now Rome is coming after them. They're very aware of suffering, and Jesus is very aware of suffering too. In fact, these, this whole chapter is really about if Jesus suffered and you suffer, don't find it a surprise and find, find encouragement in the fact that he suffered. And he suffered once. Once for sins. But notice what it says in verse 18 of 1 Peter 3. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God and be being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, 
When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the flesh, or the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.